Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Just me here today. Today, I'm going to do a deep dive on this book, Vitamin C, The Real Story by Steve Hickey and Andrew W. Saul both PhDs. And before I get into this deep dive, I just want to say that I'm not sponsored in any way. I have no ads to read to you here. I write books and sell books and I sell supplements for a living. We put most of our information out on Instagram and YouTube and formerly on podcast, but I'm recording this in my third week where my podcast has been taken down by Spotify. Still waiting on a resolution. It is looking less likely by the day. So you may be listening to this on a new podcast that I start, or you might be listening to this on my website, noticebooks.org. Notice is spelled not us, not usbooks.org. And there I've been building an archive where you can listen to all of my recordings for free, and you can download them for free, no interruptions or ads or anything. And on my website, you can also find my books that I've written and books that I've helped publish as well. Most of them are in the health category. And the way that we sell supplements, by the way, we do free health evaluations. We do that on Instagram, and I do a lot of that on email nowadays. If you're listening to this on podcast, you can find my contact information in the description. And if you're already on my website, notusbooks.org, you can go to the channels page and find all of my Instagram links, YouTube links, and my email. Reach out to me any way you want. Either myself or one of my team members will give you a questionnaire, and then based on your answers, we will give you our best advice on how to get healthy. And that includes everything from serious health challenges to more minor complaints. And even if you just want to prevent disease, we can give you our best advice or our best opinion on how you might do that. All of that is free whether you buy something from us or not. So I appreciate all of you being with me, and one more request here. You know, I am I'm feeling real spiteful about this Spotify thing. I gained an awful lot of traction on Spotify. I had over 2 million listens, and when I got pulled, a whole bunch of you reached out to me and told me how much you appreciated the podcast and all that stuff, so thank you very much for your support, especially through this difficult time. And since Spotify owns the platform that I was publishing my podcast on, Anchor, 
They pulled my podcast from all platforms. No warning, no ability to reverse any of this, and hardly any communication since the incident, despite my persistence in trying to get an answer and trying to get a resolution. I'm just saying, hey, you want to do me a favor? Stop paying Spotify. If you pay a membership to Spotify, stop it. They don't deserve your money. And they are participating in the control of information by controlling who can and cannot publish on their platform. And of course, other platforms do this as well, especially Instagram and Facebook. But you don't pay Instagram and Facebook, so you don't have to stop paying them. And YouTube is probably one of the worst offenders in the censorship game, especially when it comes to health information. If you didn't know, the Alphabet Corporation that owns Google and owns YouTube are heavily invested in pharmaceutical companies. And that is one of the possible motivations they have for censoring natural information or quote-unquote alternative information. All right, without further ado, we can jump right in. Vitamin C, the real story. The remarkable and controversial story of vitamin C. Now, when I'm reading books, especially health books, I just mark pages, mostly for myself, something I might want to reference later, something I might want to include in my own books, something I disagree with, something I might want to look more into. I don't know. I save things for a whole bunch of reasons. And I saved several passages in this book. So this is not a full summary. This is just what I found interesting or what was new to me, etc. Now, here in the foreword by Abraham Hoffer, who's an MD and PhD, there was an interesting passage here. If you want to be really healthy, you should take enough vitamin C. After reading this book, you will know why and how much. I am 90 years old and I have been taking vitamin C for over 50 years, and I plan to stay on it forevermore. It has also been very good for my patients, but not so good for my practice. My patients get well too fast. You hear that? That's from a practicing medical doctor. Vitamin C has been good for my patients, meaning good for the health of the patients, but not so good for my practice because my patients get well too fast. And of course, doctors don't get paid if you get well. They get paid for treating diseases and treating symptoms. So if your symptoms go away from vitamin C, they don't get paid from you anymore. All right, the next passage I saved here was just from the first chapter, just laying out the basics here. Absence of vitamin C causes scurvy, leading to spongy gums, loosened teeth, bruising, and bleeding into the mucous membranes. Several of these symptoms are caused by loss of collagen and connective tissue from blood vessels, which then become fragile and unable to respond to blood pressure and other stresses. And yeah, in the business, I was taught to think of vitamin C as C standing for connective tissue. Connective tissue holds everything in the body together. It's not just your skin. It's also the inner skin, the fascia, which holds all your organs in place. Connective tissue holds your blood vessels in place. Literally, you would fall apart without your connective tissue, and that's what you see in scurvy. And a lot of people might think that scurvy has been eradicated, but I see this stuff all the time, all the time. Loose teeth, easy bruising and bleeding. I see scurvy every single time I go to the grocery store or Walmart, just walking around looking at people. Scurvy is all over the place. And there's a huge list of roles that vitamin C plays here that is also continued on this page. I'm not going to quote directly, just going to read some of the stuff. Vitamin C plays a role in protecting the brain and nervous system from detrimental effects of stress. It's involved in the synthesis and maintenance of the chemical messengers or neurotransmitters. Adrenaline, otherwise known as epinephrine, or noradrenaline, or norepinephrine. These depend on the adequate supply of vitamin C. 
These neurotransmitters are vital to brain functioning and affect people's mood. They function as stress signaling hormones and are produced in the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands and central nervous system maintain high levels of vitamin C. So vitamin C is concentrated in the adrenal glands where they produce the adrenal hormones. That's part of the reason vitamin C is so involved in the adrenal hormones. Vitamin C is also needed for the synthesis of carnitine, a small molecule involved in transporting fat to mitochondria, which are the furnaces of the body cells that burn nutrients to produce energy. The energy provided is used either to power the cell's activities or to provide antioxidant electrons that prevent harmful oxidation. So vitamin C is also involved in breaking down cholesterol to form bile acids, which is very important in the overall absorption of fats and functioning of the digestion system. And the authors here suggest that vitamin C's action on cholesterol levels suggests that higher levels of vitamin C may lower the risk of gallstones. So vitamin C is widely known as an antioxidant, something that combats oxygen radical compounds. Those are the type of bad stuff that you'll find in pollutants and aerosols and even cooking fats like salad dressings and deep fried food, margarines, burned animal fats. All that stuff produces free radicals, and so we need antioxidants to combat them. And vitamin C is one of the most well-known antioxidants. And they're saying here that the importance of vitamin C in preventing free radical damage and aging, which is basically oxidation, is sometimes understated. An adequate supply of vitamin C enables the regeneration of vitamin E and other antioxidants in the body. So you need a lot of vitamin C to use the other antioxidants. And by the way, a lot of this book is about massive doses of vitamin C, much higher than I ever thought was necessary in the business. And we're talking about grams here, which is a unit of measurement that does not apply to most other nutrients in the body. In terms of the micronutrients, the minerals, vitamins, amino acids, and essential fatty acids, and antioxidants in general, other phytonutrients, the only one off the top of my head that we need grams of per day is calcium. So vitamin C, the doses that they're recommending in here are by far the highest doses of any nutrient out of the 90 essential nutrients. And even the doses that we normally take is directly comparable to the amount of calcium that we take which is 1,200 milligrams, basically, 1.2 grams. That's how much we recommend of calcium per 100 pounds of body weight. And that same dosage math would apply to vitamin C. So if you're on our regular program at Dr. Wallach's advised doses, you're taking 1,200 milligrams per 100 pounds of body weight of both calcium and vitamin C. And by the way, humans are one of a small group of animals that don't produce their own vitamin C. The other main animals in this group, mammals that don't produce their own vitamin C, are guinea pigs, the rest of the apes, bats, and a few others. But other than that, most mammals produce their own vitamin C, and most vertebrates in general, actually. This is actually why chicken eggs, or eggs in general from birds, don't have any vitamin C, because the chicken can produce its own vitamin C. So the egg has almost a full spectrum of every other nutrient that we would need because we need the same basic nutrients as a chicken does, but since the chicken can make its own vitamin C, there's no vitamin C in the egg. So this book is also talking about the problem with the current recommended dosages of vitamin C because, as I mentioned, I see scurvy all over the place, at least to my opinion, in the grocery store and at Walmart and just walking around the regular world, especially here in America and Texas. And so doctors still recommend this very small amount of vitamin C and they say, oh, just don't worry, you can just eat a few servings of fruits and vegetables and get your vitamin C. But the fact is that most people are not actually doing that. 
They're not actually getting their intake of the fruits and vegetables, so they're far short. And once you're sick, you need far more vitamin C, just like you need more of most of the other nutrients. The amount of a vitamin or mineral that it takes to keep you alive when you're healthy is different from the amount that you actually require when you're sick. This is why we use quite high doses to help people reverse health problems. You can't just use the RDAs, you're probably not going to get anywhere. And there's a lot of basic stuff to cover. I do recommend this book. I didn't save all those points. As I said, I really only save points that are interesting to me or new to me, and so I knew a lot of this stuff already. But the next page that I marked was in a section about preventing cancer, and they're saying here, most large studies have found little association between breast cancer and the low intakes of vitamin C that are typically studied. And I'll interject here and say that a big part of their point here with this uh, controversial story of vitamin C is that studies are often done on low doses of vitamin C. So they'll say, vitamin C doesn't have any impact on the common cold, but they're not using high enough doses to actually get the result is the case that this book is making especially since the average person is assumed to already be quite deficient, both in vitamin C and a multitude of other nutrients, very likely. So back to the text here. However, in one study, overweight women with an average vitamin C intake of 110 milligrams, which is very small, each day were found to have a 39% lower risk of breast cancer compared to similar women with an intake of 31 milligrams a day. Both of those are very low intakes. The Harvard Nurses Health Study also suggests an association between low levels of vitamin C and breast cancer. A 63% lower risk of breast cancer was found in premenopausal women with an average intake of 205 milligrams of vitamin C per day, compared with similar women who consumed an average of 70 milligrams each day. Again, both of those are very low. I already told you, we recommend over 1,000 milligrams or 1 gram per 100 pounds per day for anyone. That's just maintenance level, and then you can definitely increase that if you are sick. And to finish this paragraph, these subjects had a family history of breast cancer. Unfortunately, once again, data on higher intakes of vitamin C in the range of 1,000 to 10,000 milligrams or 1 to 10 grams are not available because they don't study those high doses typically. They consider 1,000 milligrams to be a mega dose. Average scientists, average nutritionists, the government, they consider 1 gram to be a mega dose. Whereas this book is saying that's not a mega dose at all. And I would agree. I didn't think that I was taking megadoses by taking my 1,200 milligrams per 100 pounds of body weight per day. And you'll probably be hard-pressed to find a vitamin C tablet in your grocery store or a pharmacy that has less than 500 milligrams per tablet. Whether it's a chewable for children or whatever, they're almost all 500 milligrams. That's like the standard dose. So before I go on, I just want to mention that since I reviewed this book on my Instagram a lot of people reached out and they wanted to know if they should mega dose. So I called Dr. Wallach and I talked to a few other people who know more than I do on this subject because this book was pretty much an introduction to mega doses for me. This is not something that I would do previously. If someone came with a catastrophic illness, we would give them high doses across the board generally, not mega doses. We would just lean towards the upper ranges of what we would recommend. Like we're not going to recommend doing the minimum if you have cancer. We're going to recommend doing the proper dose, what we consider the proper dose of all 90 essential nutrients. But vitamin C wasn't really one that I would single out. And so I wanted some expert opinions on this. And so Dr. Wallach and other people said that if you take mega doses of vitamin C, it will deplete other nutrients, especially copper and other important minerals. And through this book, they're talking about finding your dose through bowel tolerance. This means you take enough vitamin C until you have diarrhea. 
that's what you know your tolerance is, and then you lower it a little bit. Well, if you take that high of doses, you are going to deplete nutrients just because of the diarrhea itself. You know, we hear about uh, malnourished children in Africa or whatever dying of diarrhea-based illnesses or, you know, parasites that give them diarrhea. And what they actually die of is dehydration, both the loss of water and the loss of water-soluble nutrients and other nutrients that are lost in the feces. So if you have diarrhea, chronic diarrhea, anything like that, you're losing lots of nutrients through the feces. So we're not recommending taking vitamin C to bowel tolerance, basically. We're recommending less than that, but Dr. Wallach and others agreed that it's still smart to increase beyond what we normally do, the 1,200 milligrams per 100 pounds of body weight. It's still smart to increase that. You just don't need to go as high as this book is recommending. That's their opinion, and I agree with their opinion, because basically none of these studies that are talked about in this book are actually done with more nutrients they're just just vitamin c so these people are not taking all 90 essential nutrients so we don't know what would happen if they have all 90 essential nutrients but in our experience in the business we don't actually need to do mega doses other than just boosting it a little bit but like i said that's not what i have done in this business i've been doing this over eight years and i've never actually specifically recommended to boost vitamin c beyond what's in our normal programs I know we get quite spectacular results with just giving good solid doses of all 90 essential nutrients. Sometimes I boost zinc, sometimes I'll boost vitamin D. That's something I've been talking about more recently, making sure your vitamin D is high. These are two nutrients that don't come in proper adequate doses in our packages because not everyone needs extra doses all the time, especially for vitamin D. If you are a person who works outside in a sunny place where you get regular exposure to UVB3 or above, then you don't need a vitamin D supplement. So it doesn't make sense to have it in our regular packages. But there's only a couple of nutrients that this applies to. And by the way, if you're more interested in vitamin D, I did just record a deep dive on that. It is on my website, notusbooks.org, in the audio archive. You can download it there too. And I assume if you're listening to this on podcast that I will also have posted that episode. You can check that out. Just wanted to interject here that we do believe that if you do mega doses, the types of mega doses that are described in this book, which are well beyond boosting a couple of grams, you are at risk of depleting other nutrients, especially really important minerals. And copper is one of those big ones on the list. Now, copper deficiency causes gray hair, by the way. So... I want you to notice the next time you ever see somebody recommending mega doses of vitamin C, look at their hair color. If they have gray hair, if they have white hair, this is a good sign that the vitamin C has been depleting their key minerals there, especially copper, tin, iron, selenium, but mostly copper. And or they just aren't consuming enough of those other nutrients. That's also a possibility here. Some people get super stoked about some nutrients and they neglect the rest. Actually, that's very, very common. So I imagine there's a lot of people who take good solid doses or even mega doses of ascorbic acid, vitamin C, ascorbic acid, same thing. And so they're just failing to actually incorporate the rest of the 90 essential nutrients into their program. So you don't want to do that. We recommend taking all 90 as a baseline and maybe you should boost vitamin C. And by the way, to experiment with this myself, I did buy a pound of generic vitamin C. This is another question that I've been getting a lot since I've reviewed this book. People ask, well, hey, what should I buy? So I asked around as well, and the opinion is, honestly, you can buy any generic brand. I'd never got a strong opinion saying that you have to get this brand. This is the best brand for raw ascorbic acid. The general opinion I got was that this stuff is widely available. It's cheap to produce. It's cheap to buy. It doesn't matter where you buy it from. But me personally, I chose to buy one that was made in America, 
and it only cost me $20 for a pound, and they had the option of buying much more than that, and the price went way down with bulk. So this is very cheap stuff, and I've chosen to just add an extra scoop, which is one extra gram to my program per day. So I usually take either one or two scoops of our normal tangy tangerine mostly, which again, that's the 1200 milligrams. So if I take one serving, I'm getting 1.2 grams. If I take two servings, I'm getting 2.4 grams. So my average day, I'm either getting 1.2 or 2.4. So I've just boosted that by adding an extra scoop of ascorbic acid by itself, which means now my regular dose is either 2.2 or 3.2 grams. And I'm just seeing what happens. I only have about 10, 12 grays in my beard here. They've actually been going down because they were kind of getting a little bit out of control especially when I come down here to Texas, because we're in a higher EMF environment down here in the outskirts of Houston than at my normal house way up in the country in northern Canada. And I think the travel has a lot to do with it too. The travel really beats me up. High radiation there as well. I dehydrate myself on purpose when I'm traveling so I don't have to use the bathroom all the time. You know, I don't eat food at the airport and all this stuff. So I, I get hungry, I get thirsty, I get tired. And it takes me like a week to recover from my trip back and forth, which I have to take every two or three months because my wife lives in America. I'm Canadian. I have a long and troubled border history and customs history. I do have an episode about that, by the way, on my podcast and on my website archive. It's called Banned from America. Not going to get into it. I'm just saying I was getting more grays and my wife began on this trip force feeding me eggs, basically. She's making me eat eggs every single day. We often recommend eating eggs even though they don't have vitamin C, and this particular episode is about vitamin C. But I don't always eat eggs, that's the truth. It's part of our healing protocol for sure, and it's a good practice. I just don't always take my own advice. How about that? I eat meat and other sources of cholesterol, which is the main reason to be eating eggs. But I also knew that eating eggs by itself could stop hair loss. About 10 years ago, back when I was uh, vegan, vegetarian, I was actually losing my hair in clumps and it was graying very significantly and it had significant wrinkles and all this stuff, but I was so worried about it I shaved my head. But then I added eggs back into my diet and the hair loss stopped and the grays stopped. They completely reversed. It wasn't until a couple of years ago when I started making this trip back and forth that I really started to notice grays coming back in. So all I really needed to do was add eggs back into my diet to stop my hair from falling out and stop it from turning gray. That was over 10 years ago. And now it started to become a problem again. And so my wife started force feeding me eggs every single day now. And it's basically stopped. So I'm just saying, I only have like 10 or 12 grays on my face that I can see. So if I increase my vitamin C, I should be able to see if that makes an actual difference. If I get more grays, I am going to back off. And that is something you should pay attention to as well. Of course, once again, if you cover your baseline, especially with the minerals, if you do that wisely, that should be more important than relying on vitamin C itself. But you should also be able to notice if vitamin C is depleting your other nutrients because that's one of the things you will notice is gray hair. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, the next point I saved here in this book actually is not having anything to do with vitamin C. It was about lead. And I thought this was interesting. Lead pipes had been used for several centuries before the fall of Rome and continued to be used in England, for example, until they were gradually phased out in the 20th century. The toxic effect was not strong enough to prevent the burst of intellectual activity leading to and propelling the Industrial Revolution. I just I thought that was a good point. You know, everybody, quote-unquote, knows that lead is poisonous, and, it, well, it is if you ingest it, yeah, okay. But the toxic effect was not strong enough to prevent the burst of intellectual activity leading to and propelling the Industrial Revolution. Revolution. Very interesting to me. And they do actually connect this to vitamin C here. In older men, higher blood vitamin C levels are associated with lower lead concentrations in the body. A study of lead levels in 747 elderly men showed that oral vitamin C intakes of less than 109 milligrams per day were linked to higher lead in the blood and bone than those consuming 339 milligrams or more each day. This result was supported by a study of 19,578 people, which indicated that higher serum vitamin C levels were linked with significantly lower blood lead concentrations. The response of blood lead levels to moderate intakes of vitamin C can occur in a matter of weeks. A placebo-controlled study of the effects of vitamin C supplementation, which was 1,000 milligrams daily, on blood lead concentrations in 75 adult male smokers measured significant reductions, 81%, in lead levels within a month. Lower intakes, 200 milligrams per day, did not affect blood lead concentrations. So, hey, evidence that uh, vitamin C can lower blood lead levels. Interesting. Now, the next page I saved, there was actually passages here that were underlined by whoever owned this book before me. I bought it used. And I agree, this is also an interesting point for me. When glucose, blood sugar, is high, less vitamin C is transported into the cells, which may explain why people do not report positive effects of vitamin C supplementation with the common cold and other illnesses. Take more vitamin C and eat less sugar and carbohydrates might be a new adage to replace the basic wisdom of the old one. Starve a cold, lest you feed a fever. Many high-dose vitamin C tablets or drinks that are laden with sugar in essence provide the antidote with the drug. So they're saying that maybe vitamin C doesn't work for a lot of people when they have a cold or something because most vitamin C chewables that are out there, which is the most common way that you'll find it, are very high in sugar. So those would actually spike your sugar at the same time and prevent you from having that vitamin C transported into your cells. And they went on to a fairly uh, technical explanation of what they think is going on there. I just thought that was interesting that when your blood sugar is increased, you are not getting vitamin C into the cells effectively. And the next point I saved here was actually about the safety of vitamins and minerals and herbs and stuff. In the alternative business, a lot of people actually think that taking vitamins or minerals or herbs might actually be dangerous. But if you know anything about the adverse events reports for pharmaceutical drugs, it's a fairly simple comparison to say that drugs kill and vitamins and minerals really don't. So just read you a passage here. The American Association of Poison Control Centers, the AAPCC, 
which maintains the U.S. database of information from 61 poison control centers, has noted that vitamins are among the most reported substances. The small number of fatalities does not, therefore, reflect a lack of reporting. So they're saying there's actually a lot of reports about adverse events for vitamins, which, by the way, would mostly be like diarrhea from vitamin C or itchy skin from niacin, niacin flush, they call it, something like that. Maybe a racing heartbeat, fairly minor things. In 16 of 23 years, the AAPCC reported that there was not a single death due to vitamins. These statistics specifically include vitamin A, niacin or B3, pyridoxine or B6, other B-complex vitamins, vitamin C, D, E, K, and multiple vitamins without iron. Minerals, which are chemically and nutritionally different from vitamins, also have an excellent safety record, but not quite as good as vitamins. On the average, one or two fatalities per year are typically attributed to iron poisoning from gross overdosing on supplemental iron. Deaths attributed to other supplemental minerals are very rare. Even iron, although not as safe as vitamins, accounts for fewer deaths than laundry and dishwashing detergents. So laundry and dishwashing detergents are more dangerous than vitamins and minerals. I would add, you know, some other things onto this list like stairs. If you didn't know, stairs are very dangerous, actually. Fishing. Thing involving fire, campfires and stuff. You could burn your house down and die. You could. Smoke inhalation. I, I'm just saying <laughs> there's a lot more dangerous things out here than one or two deaths on average from especially iron overdosing, which is something you can also completely control. And just for reference here, I'm not going to deep dive into drug deaths right now. The only book I'm holding in front of me is this vitamin C story, and I've just got my phone here. But these years that they were talking about in this book start in 1983 and end in 2005, so I just typed it in here. How many people died of drugs in 1983? This is in the U.S., and the number is 2,866. And this just popped up, even though I wasn't searching this year. It said in 2021, more than 106,000 people in the U.S. died from drug-involved overdose. That includes illicit drugs and prescription opioids. And once again, I'm not going to deep dive into that subject. Just saying. When you're comparing the safety of vitamins and minerals to pharmaceuticals or any other form of drugs, vitamins and minerals are ridiculously safe. And in all my years in the business, I've never seen a confirmed case where anyone died from vitamins and minerals. And I'm more suspect of herbs, by the way, because they act more like actual drugs. I'm more cautious with them. And they have some numbers here, which is worth discussing, even though I didn't mark this passage. Let us consider just those deaths and injuries caused by the effect of aspirin-like drugs, or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs, on ulcers in older people alone. So just old people taking just this type of drug, and only in stomach problems like ulcers. This is a pretty narrow focus on how many people are killed by this one specific criteria. These drugs are often also used for a slight headache, muscle strain, and arthritis. Every year, about 41,000 older adults are hospitalized in the U.S. The average stay in the hospital for peptic ulcer in elderly persons is over a week, 8.5 days. But about 350,000 unnecessary days in the hospital occurred in 1987 due to NSAIDs. In fact, 3,300 people die every year from these complications. These figures are a challenge to anyone who claims high doses of vitamin C are a health risk. Furthermore, they are only a small fraction of the large number of unnecessary deaths each year from prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Vitamin C is one of the least toxic substances known. There have been one or two allegations, but nothing confirmed about alleged deaths from vitamin C. And they also mention here that paracetamol, acetaminophen, a painkiller, widely available over-the-counter, causes about 56,000 emergency room visits and 26,000 hospitalizations each year. 
Paracetamol causes 458 deaths in these patients each year, many from unintentional overdoses. At least 16,500 people die each year in the U.S. because of over-the-counter painkillers, and over 100,000 may be hospitalized by their side effects. Medical error reportedly kills at least 100,000 people a year in the U.S. In addition, 12,000 cases of unnecessary surgery, 7,000 errors in giving drugs, 80,000 hospital infections, 106,000 adverse drug reactions, and 20,000 other errors all lead to avoidable death. The media give high prominence to vitamin C scare stories based on little evidence. They often fail to highlight more substantial medical facts if such information could disturb the status quo. And now they go on to talk about potential side effects, and they're, they're discounting basically what you might have heard in the media or something. Does vitamin C cause kidney stones? Yeah, they're refuting that. I'm not going to get into that. And the next page that I saved was further in the book, and it's talking about how much you can actually safely take. Typical healthy people can take between 4 and 15 grams of vitamin C a day before reaching bowel tolerance, so before they get diarrhea. For a person with a mild cold, the tolerance goes up to between 30 and 60 grams or more. That's huge. It's a huge increase, and that's a huge amount. Dr. Cathcart suggests up to 15 divided doses per day to produce a sustained intake. And the next passage I saved here, the Vitamin C Foundation's advice is, at first sign of a cold or flu, begin taking at least 8 grams, 8,000 milligrams, of vitamin C as ascorbic acid, raw, every 20 minutes for 3 to 4 hours until bowel tolerance. 8 grams every 20 minutes for 3 to 4 hours. That's huge. This is a huge amount compared to the 1 gram that I'm used to thinking of and that probably... Everybody thought was a decent dose based on the information that's just floating around out there. But the Vitamin C Foundation recommends beginning at at least 8 grams every 20 minutes for 3 to 4 hours until bowel tolerance. And then continue with smaller dosages of 2 to 4 grams every 4 to 6 hours for 10 days to prevent recurrence. This is just for a cold or flu. So anytime you hear that vitamin C is not effective against a cold or flu, just remember they are probably not studying anywhere near the amounts that the people who know best about vitamin C are actually recommending. And this is one of the reasons I thought it was smart to buy a big bag of bulk ascorbic acid, just in case I do feel a tickle in the throat or something, feel a little bit off. It looks like I can pretty easily do a substantial dose there to help ease my symptoms and not have to take that mega dose every day, but it just seems like a smart thing to have around the house. I don't need to take triple, quadruple doses of my whole 90 essential nutrient supplement program. I do like to take just a general increase in my supplements if I feel sick at all, but this just seems like a smart thing. Take a couple extra scoops if I'm feeling off. And I saved a connection to cancer. I've been really rigorously saving things in connection to cancer, hoping to write a book about cancer in the far future, not the near future. Cancer is a complicated subject, so I've just been saving information on it. In 1940, a few years after the vitamin C molecule was identified, researchers studied its effects in leukemia and noticed that cancer patients were often deficient in vitamin C. It was thought that correcting this deficit with intravenous sodium ascorbate might be therapeutic. A little later... William J. McCormick, MD, anticipated a relationship between cancer and shortage of vitamin C. In his view, malignant cancer was a disease of inadequate collagen, resulting from a lack of vitamin C. Collagen is part of connective tissue, and remember vitamin C, you could think of it as standing for C4 connective tissue. In 1969, it was shown that sufficiently high doses of vitamin C were actually toxic to malignant cancer cells. 
In the decade that followed, exciting research reports on vitamin C and cancer suggested a completely new approach to cancer prevention and treatment. Erwin Stone, PhD, also documented a relationship between a shortage of vitamin C and cancer. He realized that vitamin C had produced a complete remission from leukemia in at least one report. A researcher had treated a patient suffering from myelogenous leukemia with 24 to 42 grams of vitamin C each day. Remember, 24 to 42 grams is way, way, way higher than your doctor is going to tell you is necessary or that the CDC or FDA or whatever government agency you look at None of them are going to recommend 24 to 42 grams of vitamin C each day. The patient twice stopped taking the vitamin C and deteriorated, but when the vitamin C was reinstated, the illness went back into remission. This early research work led doctors Linus Pauling and Owen Cameron to perform their influential studies of vitamin C in cancer. A number of Dr. Cameron's patients were cured. Dr. Pauling reported that the ascorbate-treated patients had lived, on the average, over five times as long as the matched control patients. More recent research suggests that vitamin C-based redox mechanisms may be of great importance in protecting against carcinogenesis, or the development of cancer. When an abnormal cell starts to divide, it becomes more oxidizing and may be more sensitive to redox and other signals to commit suicide by apoptosis. Apoptosis is programmed cell death, basically. These are fancy words you find in, in cancer research all the time. The control mechanisms that multicellular organisms have evolved to combat the problem of cancer may provide new approaches to preventing and treating the disease. And this is part of their theory, by the way, that I didn't really mark a page about. They're talking about the idea that wild animals don't really get sick. Well, they don't, they don't get sick, as far as we know. Not cold and flu and stuff like that. And most of those animals, other than the handful of mammals that don't produce their own vitamin C, those animals can produce more vitamin C if they have a pathogenic threat or something like cancer. They could produce more vitamin C in their body in response to that. But since we can't do that, we have to control our intake. And this is why these megadoses may be so important, because it's not going to happen on its own. And so they've got some more complicated explanations about their theory and the relationship between vitamin C and cancer. I'm not going to get into it. I highly recommend reading the book for all the details. But they did point out here that vitamin C is a particularly useful anti-cancer agent because of its low toxicity, right? Every cancer treatment in the mainstream is also potentially toxic or extremely toxic. So having something that has any effect that has such low or no toxicity is extremely beneficial. And remember, I went on about that idea that high doses of vitamin C can deplete your other nutrients, well, we should be having relatively high doses of all the nutrients anyways, especially in catastrophic cases. But also, if we're doing mega doses temporarily, I don't really care about that depletion effect. Like if you're doing something all the time that's continuously depleting your minerals, especially your copper and so on, that's not going to be good. But if I'm in some kind of an emergency situation or I'm sick or something, then I don't really care about that. I'm okay taking higher doses of vitamin C for a short period of time. And in this case of cancer, if you're successful, you shouldn't need to do this for that long. Now, the next page I marked, I actually put a star next to this, which means I thought it was really important at the time. This is their opinion on what would be considered a standard approach for most cancer patients who are not in the final stages of the disease. I don't know why they differentiate between final stages or starting stages. I, that doesn't make sense to me. They didn't clarify if there was a different approach if you're in the final stages of the disease. And like I said, I don't know why that would matter. But anyways, they recommend vitamin C as ascorbic acid at least 3 grams 5 or 6 times each day. So that's 15 or 18 grams. They're saying at least, that means minimum. A daily total of 20 grams or more. And they highly recommend liposomal formulations. 
which I'm not going to get into that. I've never used liposomal vitamin C. I do have a connection for it. I looked at the price differences and I decided to buy raw ascorbic acid in powder form and everybody else that I talked to in the health business all recommended the same thing. So liposomal might be more absorbable, but raw ascorbic acid is so much cheaper that to me it just made more sense to get the powder. But I am going to buy some liposomal. I don't see very many people in real life these days. We mostly do everything online, but I think that would be a good tool in my toolbox for people in my town and stuff. Some sick people come to us in real life. And if I have that on hand, then that might be one of my go-tos that I grab. Now, they also recommend R-alpha lipoic acid, which is an antioxidant that we make in our body. Not sure why they recommended that. It's a little bit of a weird recommendation to me. They recommend 200 to 500 milligrams with each dose of vitamin C, up to 5 grams total oral intake. They recommend vitamin D3, 4,000 IUs per day. I would say that's actually a little bit on the low side if you go and listen to our vitamin D talk. You'll get more of an idea of that, but if you were low on vitamin D, I would recommend 10,000 IUs to bring that up, and then 5,000 after that. Don't know why they settled on 4,000. Bit weird to me, but hey. Then they recommended selenium, a powerful antioxidant mineral, one of the most important essential minerals. They recommended 800 micrograms per day, which is quite a high dose if you know about trace mineral research and stuff. Most of it is done on between 1 and 400 micrograms. We do actually recommend as far as 1,000 micrograms, and Dr. Wallach can even recommend two or 3,000 micrograms per day in extreme cases. But I've always put my limit at 1,000 micrograms. I believe I got that number from Dr. Peter Glidden, and I just kept it in my head that we boost selenium. Generally, like me, I like to get my level at 400 micrograms per day. If I was sick, I would go higher than that. If I had cancer, I would go much higher than that, all the way up to 1,000 micrograms per day. So they're recommending 800 micrograms per day. That's a really solid dose to me, in my opinion, for any adult even with widely varying body weights. And they recommend the form of selenium is methyl selenocysteine. We actually recommend selenomethylthionine. I'm not going to quibble over the difference here. This level of selenium intake corresponds to the US government's no observed adverse effect level and is the maximum intake considered safe of any side effects. Yeah, that's fair to me. And they say absorbable magnesium, 400 to 2500 milligrams per day as magnesium citrate or magnesium chelate. They recommend a very low carbohydrate and low calorie diet and lots of fresh raw vegetables. Now, I'm just going to jump in here and say that this is actually one of the things that annoys me about health books in general because they tend to focus too much on individual nutrients. So right here, they recommended one, two, three, four essential nutrients, vitamin C, vitamin D, selenium, and magnesium. Well, we say there's at least 90 essential nutrients, and actually that's a catchphrase to make it simple. It's really more than that if we were starting to talk about the different vitamin A's that there are, the different flavanols or bioflavanols. These are basically plant antioxidants. We just call all of those one vitamin, actually. It's a shorthand. On our list of 16 essential vitamins, one of them is flavanols and bioflavanols. And really, that's a list of hundreds, if not thousands, of different compounds. So this is a shorthand of what we consider essential for maximum genetic expression. Even the essential minerals, we say there's 60 essential minerals. Those are the ones that we can confidently say are essential. 
but there's 92 naturally occurring elements on the periodic table. And I personally, and most of us in this business, centered around Dr. Wallach's message is that all of those naturally occurring elements are actually essential in their naturally occurring forms and quantities. This even includes lead, fluoride, any of mineral, any element can kill you in the wrong form and in the wrong dose. But in the forms that are available to us in nature, we do believe they are essential. That could be a very long conversation. Just saying, I get annoyed when people recommend four different nutrients when there's at least 90 essential nutrients. I would not want you to go out and buy these specifically, although vitamin D is one of them, as I mentioned, that doesn't come at the proper proportion in our normal packages because you should be boosting it based on your lifestyle and your UV exposure and stuff. And selenium is one of those ones that we only have 100 micrograms in our normal products like our tangy tangerine or one of our other normal multi-products. It only has 100 micrograms in it. So we actually have a separate selenium product called Ultimate Selenium. One bottle of that per month, it's 90 capsules, each capsule has another 100 micrograms. Sorry for getting too complicated here. I know you guys are listening on audio, but one bottle of the extra selenium. So for me to boost my selenium, that gives me 300 extra micrograms. That's why I say I tend to take 400 micrograms per day. I'm just saying that selenium is one of the smart ones to boost on its own outside of our normal program. So is vitamin D. Okay. So is vitamin C. I already mentioned. Yeah, I'll take some extra vitamin C and I'll recommend it to people who are sick or have a serious health problem. But the list kind of ends there, maybe zinc. But magnesium is not one that I would recommend boosting on its own. In fact, taking magnesium by itself increases your needs for calcium. And magnesium is one of the few products that when we ask people our questionnaire when we're doing the consultation with them, if they say that they're on magnesium, I recommend throwing it away. Almost no one listens to me, so actually I've kind of changed that recently. I've been saying, look, I know you're not going to throw it away if I tell you to, so just greatly reduce the dose. Because there's a lot of people out there taking magnesium on its own for things like muscle relaxation, muscle pain relief, neck pain relief, help with their sleep, because magnesium does relax muscles. But it works in conjunction with calcium. Calcium contracts muscles, magnesium relaxes muscles. And there's other nutrients involved here as well, including vitamin D. But when you take magnesium by itself, you increase calcium deficiency because you increase your need for more calcium. They're supposed to be in proportion. We need more calcium than magnesium. Just saying, don't recommend taking magnesium on its own. And their list ended there, right? They recommended R-alpha lipoic acid. They recommended low-carbohydrate and low-calorie diet and lots of raw, fresh vegetables. I can't disagree too strongly with any of those, but there's a lot more essential nutrients here that I would take. And so I don't like when a lot of these books hone in on only a few nutrients. And I know this book is totally about vitamin C, but still, it leaves a lot of the message out. And that's why when I talk to the people I know in this business, they all mention this. They say, hey, a lot of these people aren't studying, aren't looking at, aren't thinking about the whole spectrum of the 90th century nutrients. They're honing in on a few of them. And this is just a very, very common trend that I regularly criticize health books for doing. They write a book about arthritis and they just praise glucosamine and chondritin, you know, or diabetes, and they're just all about chromium and zinc. And there's more nutrients involved. All of them work together. And we are one of the only camps out there in the alternative world that really focuses on the whole spectrum of the essential nutrients. So we believe, we agree, it's smart to boost some of these nutrients, especially vitamin C, but you should definitely not forget about the big picture here. Nutrient deficiencies don't happen one by one. Our modern food system leaves us deficient in numerous nutrients, not just vitamin C. 
So here I saved a technical paragraph here. It's talking about antioxidants and how they're able to quench free radicals and preserve nitric oxide's function in the blood vessels. Because they're saying nitric acid may inhibit the proliferation of smooth muscles in the blood vessel wall, which occurs in atherosclerosis. When tissue levels of oxidants are high, as an inflamed arterial wall, nitrous oxide production may be high but ineffective. And they're talking about these various antioxidants, including vitamin E, alpha-lipoic acid, coenzyme Q10, glutathione, superoxide dismutase, selenium, quercetin. But they say, however, the antioxidant function of vitamin C is unique in providing a driving potential promoting the actions of these other antioxidants. So they're basically saying that vitamin C is important for all these other antioxidants to work. And I would actually agree with them. I'm not sure if I agree with their nitric oxide thing, but it is oxidation that does cause the atherosclerosis and arteriosclerosis. So that's hardening of the artery walls and plaque formation, basically. We do believe that it's free radicals that cause that. It's not cholesterol. Doctors blame cholesterol because they don't know what they're doing. Excellent book on that whole thing is The Cholesterol Myths by Ufi Ravenskoff. Highly recommend that. It's actually on my mandatory reading list, notusbooks.org slash mandatory reading. And they're saying here, high-dose vitamin C can inhibit atherosclerosis in animals even in the presence of high blood cholesterol. Vitamin C drives the capability of numerous other antioxidants such as alpha-lipoic acid, vitamin E, and coenzyme Q10. This simple vitamin is at the core of an antioxidant network that protects the body from damage and ill health. So I'm not sure about the science there and vitamin C actually driving the actions of other antioxidants, but hey, that's a case that they're making here. We just recommend taking all these antioxidants. And yeah, if you have an oxidative problem, such as plaque in the arteries or hardened arteries or anything like that, it's definitely smart to take increased antioxidants. We would recommend that already. There's many different forms of antioxidants. And all of those that they mentioned, those are in our regular programs anyways. And like I said, I agree. Boosting vitamin C when you're in some sort of a serious health challenge, that seems like a really, really smart idea. So I haven't had much practice with this increased dose of vitamin C just yet. I just read this recently. Just started to get lots of questions and comments about it, and just started to learn a little bit more about these so-called megadoses. But I do get difficult cases from time to time. Most of what we get is normal stuff. High blood pressure, need to lose some weight, psoriasis, muscle pains, and stuff like that. That's our everyday bread and butter type of problems, digestion problems, etc. But now and then we do get serious cases, so vitamin C has already gone onto my list of things that I've been recommending these serious cases. You can stay tuned to me and my channels and my Instagram and YouTube and here podcast. See if I have any updated thoughts on this. Of course, you can reach out to me on any of those platforms or my email. You can pick my brain on health stuff. You can get your free health evaluation from me or a team member by reaching out to us. We put out a lot of health information. This is what we do full time. So I hope you enjoyed this deep dive on this vitamin C, the real story book by Steve Hickey and Andrew W. Saul. Like I said, I recommend the book. I appreciate all you guys being with me, especially here all the way to the end. If you're listening to this on my website, I've got a special treat for you at the end of these recordings. It's not really a bribe to get you to listen on my website version, but I do like to share a song at the end. I think it's just a nice way to end these talks off. Even if these talks are not that serious, like dark, they're very information intense, and before we move on to the next thing in life, I like to slow things down and share a song that's on my mind. But for those of you who are listening on podcast, that's it. That's all I've got for you today. 
Remember to check out my website, notusbooks.org, for everything I do. See my books about health. If you buy them, I appreciate you, appreciate your support. Hope you get a lot of value out of all of it. And we'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.